I'd like to thank you for hitting that download button and joining us this week here on Kicking Out at Two. I'm your host, Dave Rosenbluth, and we got a really fun show planned for you as we're going to be bringing you guys a new concept to Kicking Out at Two to close out the summer here and end the month of August that I'd like to call the Blind Date Diaries, where I'm going to take an event and I'm going to recap it in long form from beginning to end each and every match uh, after I've recently watched it for the very first time. So, um, you know, kind of going with a little bit of a different speed here. I do watch parties. I do the my favorites. I do the trading places. And I thought, you know, let's mix it up a bit. And let me give you a fresh per perspective of a show that I recently watched for the very first time on WWE Network. Um, in some cases, I'll have never seen any of this show. Um, in other cases, I've only watched highlights or maybe a match or two from the show and I've skipped around some other stuff but I sat down from beginning to end to watch this almost two hour plus show from 1986 August the 28th 1986 the big event um, it was the very first major stadium show in uh, the WWF at the time headlined by Hulk Hogan and Paul Orndorff for the WWF championship um, but before we get into that let me remind you all that our presence is on social media and we want you to be there as well hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash kicking out of two. Hit the like button if you haven't already. If you have hit the like button, then please do me a favor. Tell a friend to hit the like button that loves retro pro wrestling at its finest here on kicking out of two. We got pictures, archive links to shows, um, debates and discussions, all kinds of great stuff going on over there at facebook.com forward slash kicking out of two, as well as our Twitter handle. It's our handle's at kicking out two K I C K N O U T and the number two. Not as strong of a following, but I'm working on it. I'm going to keep working on it. So if you guys have Twitter and you guys love to talk retro pro wrestling, then you know, come over and join us. Give us a follow at kicking out two and kicking out two is also a big part of the retro mania pro wrestling podcast network over on Podbean. that is the official home for kicking out of two you can find all the archive link shows as well as up-to-date shows of kicking out of two over there it's uh, retro mania pro wrestling podcast network over on Podbean. now when you are you know because we are part of that network on Podbean, um and that's the central home for our shows you can also find other great shows like marking off the days weekend warriors where we cover wcw saturday night and wwf superstars from 1992 gaijin wrestling radio hulkamania is dead origins of attitude we got some other shows that we're we're, we're trying to line up and and uh put on the put on the docket for the retro mania pro wrestling podcast network so it's not the dave and kobe show um so we're, we're, we're working on that so we give you guys some more variety over there but being a part of that network, if if Pod, if you don't have a subscription to Podbean or if SoundCloud's not your thing because we started on SoundCloud and we still have our archives over on SoundCloud, you got to search Kicking Out too. You can find all the archive links there. But if you prefer Google Play or if you prefer the podcast app on iPhone um, or if you prefer Spreaker or Stitcher, you can search Retromania or Kicking Out of Two and find all of Kicking Out of Two shows as well as the entire library of the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. You'll find all those shows there. So if you're on Google Play and you want to check out an old episode of Kicking Out of Two, search Kicking Out of Two. You'll be able to find all of the shows through Podbean and the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast network um all right let's get into the subject at hand the big event 1986 august the 28th 1986 the 33-year anniversary to this date of this event and um you know recently i watched it for the very first time and you know I i'm really looking forward to getting into my review of this show with all of you um but just to give you guys a little bit of a background as to what exactly a blind date diary is um for some of you single folks out there, you know, I'm a married guy now. I've been married for a few years. But, um, you know, in the single world when you're dating, uh, there's that, that term blind date where you get fixed up by a friend or a mutual friend with someone that you've never met before. Um, and I've been on a few of these. And blind dates have a tendency to go, you know, there's no middle ground. It's either good or it's bad. And, um, <clears throat> you know, 
I've been on a few of those myself, and this is the inspiration behind um, you know this new concept here. Is uh, you know I've there's a, there's a lot of wrestling I've watched over the years. I've watched a fair amount of wrestling between um, you know a lot of old WWF. I grew up on WWF, WWE, um, NWA, WCW. Um, so. I've watched a fair amount, I'd like to think, over the years, but there's so much content on WWE Network that I've never seen before that I thought, you know, why why not recap it, go a different speed? We got trading places where we kind of do a little role reversal and, you know, play out different scenarios with events. You know, we have the watch parties that we do, which I, I really love those. Um, my favorites where we, you know, we cover some of my favorite matches, favorite storylines, um, <clears throat> favorite events. Sometimes we do it in watch party form. And so, uh, you know, I thought, let's bring a different concept here, change it up a bit, um, and kind of roll with this and see how it goes. And let us know if there are any shows that you've never watched before or you may think I've never watched before that you want me to recap and, reco and cover here on this show. Hit us up on Facebook and, so, and Twitter. Facebook.com forward slash kicking out or two or Twitter handle at kicking out to slide in our DMS or right on our wall or tweet us, whatever. And just, you know, say, Hey, listen, I'd love to hear your, your take on, uh, the wrestling classic pay-per-view from 1986 or 80, uh, 85 or 86. I forget which one it was. I'll see. I'll have to look it up because I've never watched it before, but, or, you know, you're, if, if you, and in your house pay-per-view, I may never, may have never watched before. As a matter of fact, I've never watched in your house international incident from July of 96. So maybe I'll cover that down the line. Um, but yeah, you get the idea. So, uh, you know, let me know. I'd love to, you know, get a little feedback from you guys and, uh, you know, give you guys what you want as well here on this show because you know I'm a, I'm a wrestling fan just like you at the end of the day so uh yeah that's pretty much what the blind date is you know usually on blind dates they go really good and you go for a second date or they're bad and you never see that person again um I've had I've been on both ends of that spectrum um I will say this um you know the, the, the if there's any middle ground in a blind date especially a bad one um you know, the, the meal has to be good. At least the, 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 the food you're eating at the blind date has to be good in order for you to be able to suffer through a, a shitty blind date. Um, if you have a good blind date, then the food is just, you know, the added, uh, the, the added cherry on top of the sundae, so to speak. Uh, so, um, you know, without further ado, here we go. My recap of the big event from August the 28th, 1986, 33 years ago today. Um, there was an attendance, uh, an announced attendance of roughly 64,000 people with 61,470 paid, a gate roughly of over $800,000 in 1986. That's a lot of money. And this show emanated from Exhibition Stadium in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Um, they opened this show here. Now, mind you, this, the, 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 the version of this show that's on the WWE Network is clipped and edited. Um, this was a Coliseum Home Video release way back in the day. You'd be, you were able to rent this at the video store, um, or you could purchase it, you know, in the mail. Um, but uh, you know, I've never seen this event before at all up until recently. Watching this and now giving you guys this review, so I never watched the original airing of this. I don't know what the difference is, but there's. Um, there's some times that I'll discuss as I do this recap and review of um, instances where they edit out, you know, certain parts of matches and they just kind of tighten things up a little bit. Um, I don't know if it was because they had too much time and they needed to shorten it for, you know, home video purposes. I honestly don't know. But um, if you guys want to check this show out, this show is in the newly structured WWE Network. It's always been on the network, but it's in the newly structured portion of the WWE Network under the the WWE pay-per-view section. If you look in the retired pay-per-views, you'll find it, um, you know, uh, the, the big event from August 28th, 1986. So if uh, you guys are interested in checking that out, you can go find that on WWE Network or just search the big event and it will come up. Um, it's been pretty interesting navigating through this new WWE Network and trying to, uh, you know, figure out, um, you know, where some of the where some of the newer content is and the older stuff and they rearrange things in sections just tried to make it easy for you to navigate it's been a little difficult for me this old curmudgeon but uh you know i'm sure some of you you, you young millennials out there will uh, will be able to understand it and get it um all right so this this 
this this show opens with um, Mean Gene doing a voiceover and some helicopter shots of the city of Toronto and the stadium uh, with a pretty packed stadium. And in between these shots, we get clips of action from the event um, and Gene hyping up the card. Some of the major matches like the Machines with Captain Lou Albano against the Heenan family, Bobby Heenan, King Kong Bundy, and Big John Studd, Hulk Hogan, and Mr. Wonderful for the WWF Championship. That was the, the main event of this show. Um, and then we go to uh, Gorilla Monsoon, Ernie Ladd, and Luscious Johnny V on commentary. This is an interesting combination, and I'll, uh, I'll talk about their commentary throughout the course of this, uh, this recap here um you know with an overhead shot of the stadium as you know gorilla introduces the uh the, the, the his commentary team and introduces us to you know who's going to be calling the action that evening and the opening bout of this of this card is um Haas and Jimmy Jack Funk taking on the Killer Bees. Now, Haas Funk is actually Dory Funk Jr. Um, I guess Dory Funk Jr., uh, you know, you know how Vince likes to do it. He takes a guy that, you know, made a name for himself somewhere else and likes to put his own spin or twist to it. And he didn't think Dory Funk Jr. was a marketable enough name, so he changed his name to Haas. Um, I'm sure the NWA wrestling purists out there were were, were, were spinning in their grave um, after they had, they had seen that because this was right around the time of the, the big national expansion uh where vince kind of really took over um from his father i think like a year a year or so prior but this is in the early stages of that um anyhow uh this was a decent opener two different contrasting styles with the funks being the brawlers and the aggressors uh the bees were the flyers the high flyers the more technical of the of, of the two teams um Standard tag match with the with the heels gaining the upper hand only for the baby faces to make a comeback. Um, like I said, this network version of the show seems edited, and um, jumping Jim Brunzel gets at this point jumping Jim Brunzel he gets thrown out to the floor and then they they. They, they cut to a different scene where the bees are outside on the floor and they're putting on their masks. If some of you remember the killer bees, they used to do the old switcheroo where they would put masks on and the referee couldn't tell who was who. Um, and so Brian Blair um, was out on the floor helping, uh, you know, Jim Brunzel put his mask on and then they cut to um, them getting back in the ring with the masks on. The finish shows... Um, the bees doing the switch while the referee's distracted with Haas Funk, Dory Funk Jr. And we get a roll-up on Jimmy Jack Funk for the win. And the crowd was pretty into this opening match here. Um, you know, this match was 6 minutes, 53 seconds long. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a solid opener to get the crowd going. Uh, Jimmy Hart was in the corner of uh, Haas and uh, Jimmy Jack Funk. And he was, you know doing his thing with the megaphone and getting in, getting into it with the crowd and getting into it with the referee. Um, the bees were, you know, sympathetic, um, baby faces, typical at that time. Uh, and I think their high flying, uh, ability and their style, um, was appealing to the audience. That's why the audience got behind them in this match. Um, so yeah, this was a solid opener to start, um, for this event. Um, there's not a whole lot of in between these matches because, like I said, this is a clipped version. This is an edited version of this uh, of this event here. Um, so uh, they we cut right to the next match with uh, King Tonga, who is otherwise known as Haku, against Magnificent Don Morocco. Now, um, I think Tonga was supposed to be the babyface, but during his introduction, the crowd booed him. Um, but then the crowd booed morocco as well who was the clear the clear-cut heel um with mr fuji in his corner um like i said scaled down edited version of this match um the the it said it went it, they they said in the on the on the the commentary that the time limit was for 20 minutes but watching this it didn't feel like um this was 20 minutes uh the crowd didn't really seem too into this match uh going back and watching it um tonga tried to get the people behind him with some high flying moves uh but that didn't seem to work however the crowd was into getting giving it to morocco um but not enough for them to care, not enough for the crowd to care about tonga um uh at one point ernie ladd on commentary he let it slip that tonga um, wanted to be referred to as Haku, um, which I thought was rather interesting. And they kind of went back and forth. Johnny Valiant, you know, was going back and forth with him 
on commentary about uh, you know, who cares what he's going to be called or who cares what you know he wants to be referred to himself as. He's a loser. He's a bum. And um, you know Johnny Valiant you know, really played up the heel commentator persona. Um, you know it, it, out of this trio, Monsoon was the guy that kind of brought it everything together. But um, Ernie Ladd, you know, from time to time was uh, um, non-existent on this show. But if he was. Um, if his presence was felt, um, it was instances like this where he, like I said, he just kind of let it slip. I don't think Ernie Ladd was um, meant for commentary, but and I don't know the reason why he was on this show, to be to be honest with you. I don't know if there was a, um, you know, a, a scheduling mix-up or if, uh, you know, they asked him to fill in because they needed someone. I honestly don't know. But um, anyhow, um, as the match um goes on Haku now start finally starts to get the crowd behind him I th it took a while for them to get into it with him but he finally gets the crowd behind him countering um, Morocco's top rope offense Morocco's gonna go for like a, a top rope maneuver and um Morocco uh, sent him crashing down, similar to the, the Ric Flair spot where you, you throw the guy in the corner and then he bounces around and goes up to the other turnbuckle. Um, Haku and Morocco you know, did a similar spot like that, but once Haku nailed uh, Morocco um, off the top rope, the crowd had, gave him a decent pop for it. Um, then Haku went for a cross-body block, nailing it on uh, Morocco. Referee counts to one, and then the bell rings, si signaling a time limit draw. Um, and that was the end of the match. Uh, they, they, had, they had stated that it went the full 20 minutes. Um, but, you know, like I said, this is a scaled-down edited version, so I really wasn't sure if that was the full 20 minutes or not. Um, but, you know, this match did go a little bit. Next match is very short. It went 2 minutes and 41 seconds with Ted Arcidi taking on Tony Gurria. Um, Valiant, like I said, heel commentator on this show, uh, making meathead-like remarks towards Arcidi. Look, you know, Arcidi looks like a gym rat. Um, for those of you unfamiliar with Ted Arcidi, Ted Arcidi was a big strong power lifter um, who eventually became a pro wrestler and uh, Ted RCD actually um, Triple H credits Ted RCD for helping get him in the right direction in the business in terms of uh, you know power lifting and working in the gym um, but Ted RCD here I remember having his LJN action figure and I always liked the way and I've talked about this on previous shows I always liked the way certain action figures looked and their their bodies were you know molded and created and i always had a lot of fun wrestling with the ted rcd action figure um the, the the rubber ljn because he was just so big and and he just looked like this big intimidating not superhero but you know like comic book like character with all these big muscles here um they show a shot of the commentators in the skybox above the crowd. So for those wondering when you're watching the show where they are, they're in the skybox. Um, and they look like they're pretty far away. Um, they're not at ringside like, we, like we're normally used to today um, with WWE. But, um, yeah, um, this match, uh, the crowd just did not seem very into it. As a matter of fact, I think the two different styles um, didn't mesh well. And I think that's one of the reasons. I think that's the main reason why the crowd really wasn't into this match. Um, like I said, two minutes, 41 seconds didn't really last very long. Our CD delivered a bear hug and Gurria gave up very quickly as the match had ended. Um, we cut to mean Gene Okerlund, who's, um, you know, wants to go break for a hot dog, but he's got to interview Jimmy Hart. Um, at the, uh, the, the, the dugout of the, uh, the, the baseball stadium. Um, and the crowd's giving it to Jimmy Hart, really getting on him as uh, Jimmy discusses the adorable Adrian Adonis J, uh, junkyard dog match. And he talks about how uh, JYD had embarrassed him on television um, in the weeks leading up to it, um, weeks and months. And then we see Adrian Adonis coming in. He cuts it short and says, Jimmy, let's get to the ring. As we move on to the next match here, adorable Adrian Adonis first junkyard dog. Now, this is the first match um, – on this show where they actually um they, they 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 show the entrances because the first few matches the uh the, the the first three matches they just have the two guys in the ring and and howard finkel does the ring introductions this match here they show both um adonis and jyd's entrances which i thought was pretty interesting um something else i noticed too um as adrian adonis was making his way into the ring he was sporting like leg warmers um and 
the majority of the audience were wearing like hats and winter coats in late August. Um, so, I mean, I've never been to Canada before. I don't know when their summer ends, but it looked like in late August um, that, you know, it was, it was fairly cold uh, judging by the, the, the attire from the, from the audience. Um, JYD here makes his entrance. However, there's a post-production editing that uh, cuts it short, and we get to the action with J JYD basically nailing some rights and lefts on uh, Adrian Adonis. Um, at one point in clear camera view, Adonis is handed something from Jimmy Hart. Then he goes to press it up against his forehead and looks like it's a blade job because at one point JYD takes the chain and nails uh, Adonis, signaling the, uh, the, the blade job. And here's another thing, too, about this show that's going to be an ongoing theme the officiating sucked <laughs> i don't know what the, what the deal was if they had referees that were um that were not regular wwf referees and they used local guys but um in terms of like following the rules and stuff it was just not made very clear um and this was the first case of it on this show um as the referee did not disqualify him um and then we get another shot here a clear camera view of adonis kind of instructing the referee what to do i don't know if the referee wasn't sure what what spot to go to next or um if jyd wasn't sure what, what to do next but there's a clear camera shot of um adrian adonis on the floor as jyd is trying to bring him back into the ring from inside and he's instructing the referee on what to do um so I thought that was rather interesting. Um, and JYD continued to be in control of the match. Uh, a few right hands and some headbutts. Um, and then out of nowhere, um, as the referee's trying to get control of this match, finally wants to do his job, JYD shoves the referee down, yet he's still not disqualified. Referee did not disqualify him after he, he JYD put his hands on him, which I thought was uh, interesting. And mind you, this wasn't announced as a no disqualification match either. So um, take that for what it's worth. Um, and as the referee is down, Jimmy Hart gets up and he sprays JYD in the eyes with that the um remember what uh, rick martell the model rick martell had the arrogance in like that can that canister or whatever where you spray it um well adrian adonis and jimmy hart had one and jimmy hart sprayed it in the eyes of jyd as the referee was down um allowing adonis to gain control over him with a few elbow drops and knee drops off the second rope um the referee is still down from that shove as uh Jimmy Hart attacks JYD on the outside crowd, getting into it. Um, Jimmy Hart really bringing the heat for the heel manager. Um, this was rather interesting. Adonis goes up to the top rope, and he looks like he's going to deliver like some sort of flying, you know, elbow or you know, uh, a tomahawk chop or whatever to JYD, who's on the outside. Um, which would have been rather interesting to see Adrian Adonis climb up to the top rope and jump to the outside because that was kind of foreign territory for him if i remember correctly uh, but jyd um jyd counters with a headbutt he gets up on the apron he headbutts him and then uh, the referee still trying to get control of this match but can't seem to do it um jimmy climb jimmy hart climbs up on the apron as jyd and adonis make it back into the ring but jyd sends adrian adonis flying into jimmy hart and they both fall over the top rope out to the floor and the referee calls for the bell immediately and raises jyd's hand which was very confusing um i didn't know if this was like a post-production edit that i missed um it was very confusing um, and then, you know, the crowd seemed to be into it despite being sloppy at times, especially with this finish. They were, they were hot for the finish. Um, but official word came from the referee. He awarded JYD the victory via a countout, which, like I said, strange because the referee did not count out Adonis when he was on the floor. He rang the bell immediately. Um, so this was this was rather confusing and this was like the first sign of where like the 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 referee officiating was very shoddy at best and not consistent in terms of keeping up with the rules um this is the first sign of it on this show um, this match went four minutes and 15 seconds and you know personally 
watching this match as confusing as it was with the referees officiating not disqualifying the guys not really having a clear-cut direction of what the story was between the two of them even though it seemed very personal um the crowd was into it and it seemed fun um i got into it for the most part um i did you know kind of bring my logic thinking cap with me as i watched this uh th this match and thought why isn't the referee disqualifying jyd why didn't the referee why why is the referee calling for a count out when he didn't even count adonis out it was just I mean, like I said, I brought my logic thinking cap, but it was still fun to watch because the, the, the crowd seemed pretty into it and um, the action was just kind of all over the place. I mean, Adonis at that time was, you know, past his prime. Um, he was still a heat seeker, but in terms of in-ring skill, um, technically wise, um, he wasn't at his best and JYD wasn't at his best either. Um, so, you know, they, they they did the best they could, and I think for the four minutes and 15 seconds of this match, they, they put on a pretty decent little brawl here um, to get the crowd into it. The next match here, we have the Rebel Dick Slater, Dirty Dick Slater, um, taking on Iron Mike Sharp. Um, Dick Slater, a relatively newcomer in the WWF at this time, sh draped in the stars and bars of the Confederate flag which I know is not very friendly in 2019, but this is 1986. Um, here's a little interesting uh, tidbit to uh, remind you guys about, um, or to bring up, I should say. Uh, Monsoon, on commentary, reminds Johnny Valiant that Dick Slater may be new to the WWF, but he's not new to pro wrestling in general. He's not a rookie. Um, he didn't name the other companies that he was a part of, but I, I found that very interesting because you never acknowledged competition on the other show um that would become a thing you know in the 90s in the mid to late 90s however um this was interesting because uh, uh like i said it was it, it was during a time period where you didn't you didn't you know and and wwf and vince mcmahon has had a reputation for taking guys from other organizations and kind of putting their own little twist on them um you know if you're a hardcore wrestling fan and you watch everything you kind of know who's who but um you know, Vince would take a guy and he would, you know, put their little spin on him. Um, and this this version of Dick Slater wasn't necessarily a um, a complete gimmick overhaul for him in the WWF. However, um, you know, Vince kind of took the the Southern um, presentation of him and he he beefed it up a little more with the 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 stars and bars, the, the Confederate flag here. Um, this match edited as well. Um, and, uh, you know, Slater um, pretty much kind of had the upper hand for the majority of the time. This was a standard uh, squash match with an enhancement talent. Um, Slater comes with a uh, top rope flying elbow to the head, covering and getting the victory at six minutes and 24 seconds. Really nothing to write home about um, when it came to this match. Um, this is, if, if I want to kind of bring the blind date analogy um, to this show so far, um, <clears throat> I would say this is, this blind date's very underwhelming. Um, there's, there's times, you know, like I said, where I was confused at certain parts of the, um, of the, uh, the, the, the presentation, the show that I was watching. I could equate that to uh, maybe a, a prior blind date of mine where I was confused by certain um, pieces of information that, the, the, that my date was giving me regarding her background. Um, I went on a really terrible blind date once where um, first few minutes into the date, um, I had to pick the girl up from the hospital uh, because her son was in the hospital. Her son was just born recently, um, and the father was in jail. And the father called her on our date while he was in jail. And I, I knew that was a bad sign. <laughs> um, and maybe that's another another tale for another day. But um, because the the date did get a lot worse uh, as as the as the day went on. However. Um, so far, I would have to say this this blind date with the big event is very underwhelming. Um, 
there's some silver linings, some bright spots, but for the most part, there's nothing that's really coming out at me, nothing grabbing me here uh, when, it, when it comes to this blind date. Um, we cut to Mean Gene Oakland interviewing Bobby the Brain Heenan as Bobby Heenan hypes up the six-man tag team match with him, Big John studded King Kong Bundy against the Machines, and Captain Lou Albano, as well as the main event with his other cl uh, client, uh, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff challenging Hulk Hogan for the WWF Championship. Um, in this interview, Bobby claims that the Heenan family makes history the heenan family is wrestling and wrestling is the heenan family um typical back and forth between me and gene oakland and bobby the brain heenan those two guys their characters were like oil and water but their chemistry was unbelievable um as the crowd starts chanting weasel at bobby the brain heenan uh mean gene kind of egging the crowd on as heenan you know selling it very well and giving it back to the audience you don't chant weasel at me you do not chant weasel at me and the crowd's just chanting weasel weasel and okerlin saying bobby i did not call you a weasel and it, you know the crowd one every time bobby or gene would say weasel the crowd would just get into it so i mean bobby heenan had a gift when it came to that 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 weasel um, that weasel term that was directed at him by the audience, that nickname, um, he sold it very well. And this was, this was the case in this interview here. And then we cut to the match itself. Um, the machines and captain Lou Albano against big John stud, uh, King Kong Bundy and Bobby, the brain Heenan, um, for those of you unfamiliar with the machines, it's like a copycat of the Midnight Rider gimmick that uh, Dusty Rhodes portrayed in the Florida Championship Wrestling days. Um, the uh, Originally, under the masks as the machines, um, Bill Eady, who would play Acts of Demolition, Blackjack Mulligan, and Andre the Giant portrayed them in this match. Um, the identities were obvious to the fans, but very frustrating to the heels because they couldn't prove it, which is very typical when it comes to like a mask kind of storyline gimmick. Um, same was the case with the Midnight Rider character with Dusty Rhodes um, in 2003 when Hulk Hogan portrayed Mr. America. Um, it, that the, the, kind of had the similar tendencies in that storyline as well. So um, this is a this is a typical classic throwback um, storyline here with a masked wrestler and the heels trying to figure out who the masked wrestler is, but they can't. Um, so... Uh, we have um, this rivalry going back just a few months when Heenan was trying to prove that Andre the Giant was one of the machines because he missed a scheduled tag team match prior. Um, Jack Tunney would then state that if Andre the Giant proved to be one of the machines, if Bobby the Brain Heenan can prove that Andre the Giant was one of the machines, that Andre would be suspended from the WWF for life. Um, so we get into the match and... Uh, you know, the crowd is really into it between Bobby the Brain Heenan and Captain Lou Albano. Um, that seemed to be the big bright spot of this match. Um, Stud and Bundy get their licks in. Now, um, you know, Andre, I thought originally watching this, Andre was part of the match because it was very confusing. But um, towards the end of this match, he enters the ring and clears house and the referee calls for the bell, which, I, which another confusing aspect of me of this show for me um because they hyped the machines and captain lou now there were three machines and captain lou so i just thought it was going to be the three machines with captain lou but captain lou got involved in the match and i didn't know which machine was going to be on the outside not participating in the match well it turns out it was andre um like i said he clears house the ref calls for the bell um Heenan takes his lick from his licks from the giant machine, but Stud and Bundy they come back and they make the save. The crowd popped really big for that, and then the referee awarded the Heenan family the victory via a disqualification because all three machines were in the ring at the same time, according to Gorilla Monsoon on commentary. Um, which, like I said, I was very confused by this, but then the replay showed Andre, the, or should I say the giant machine, entered illegally into the match, attacking the Heenan family. Um, Overall, it really wasn't clear, um, you know, who were the legal participants in the match. There's three machines and Glue Albano. Um, the participants on that team really wasn't made clear on the broadcast to start. So um, this match went seven minutes and 49 seconds. And like I said, there, this is another match, nothing to really write home about. However, the, the big moment when 
giant machine aka andre the giant entered and went after the heenan family was the big moment of the match i think that was the main that that was pretty much the main story and what everyone was really um really clamoring to see um the next match here is probably um my one of my favorite matches on this card um the snake pit match with jake the snake roberts taking on ricky the dragon's team boat this was announced now mind you this was announced over the, the 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 public address system by howard finkel to be a no count out no disqualification match um and this is pretty much the blow-off match to the angle on Saturday night's main event where Jake the Snake DDT'd Ricky the Dragon Steamboat on the concrete floor and knocked him out cold. Um, for those of you wrestling history buffs out there, Jake the Snake has told this story on many different platforms, podcasts. He even uh, told the story on the, his, uh, his DVD um, that WWE put out a number of years ago where... Uh, Steamboat told him, give me a DDT on the concrete. And he was like, I can't do that. You can't protect yourself. There's no way. And Steamboat said, no, I'll be fine. I'll do it. And Jake was like, all right, man. But, you know, I'm telling you, it's not going to end well. And he gives him that DDT and Steamboat is out cold, out cold. And Jake tries to pick him up. And you, if you watch the video, you go back and watch it. It's a, it's a, um, oh, it was a Saturday night's main event in 1986 and jake tries picking him up and he's just dead weight it's, it's like you know a sack of potatoes you know the old expression and he gets him into the ring and steamboat's bleeding he's got a big giant you know goddamn hematoma on his fucking forehead um because of it uh so yeah this was the match that was you know going to be the big blow off from that storyline um according to gorilla monsoon on commentary originally jake's snake and ricky's kimono dragon were to be in each corner but wwf officials advised against it and went with the no disqualification rule um getting thrown out the window um here's another interesting tidbit for for a lot of you wrestling history buffs out there the wwe network version of this event is playing steamboat's original theme song and not the dubbed over version that they've played for years on home videos and other portions of the wwe network um it was it's it was the uh the theme song that the chicago bulls used to play um when they would do their um starting five entrance and steamboat had that music for a while as a matter of fact at my wedding um the my 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 nana my grandmother my parents and the and my wife's parents um came out to that music as like the starting entrance i kind of tried to bring like a sports like athletic feel to it with that and they came out to that song um i forget at the top of my head i forget the name of it um let me you know what i'm gonna look it up right now here on um on uh on google here let me do that for you um the alan parsons project uh is the album and it's called eye in the sky um it's the instrumental opening of their uh the, the the starting and now your starting lineup for the chicago bulls yeah that's pretty famous and infamous but anyhow steamboat they played that song which i was like i i, I was shocked i was like this must be some sort of network edit but um you know going through the the newly structured wwe network maybe they Maybe they paid money to license a lot of that music that they had to edit when they first introduced WWE Network. I'm not really sure. Um, but I, I thought that was rather interesting because I always dug that, that song um, when Steamboat used to come out, um, especially when uh, uh, he beat Randy Savage a year later at WrestleMania. Um, so anyhow, the bell sounds. Uh, Roberts goes right after Steamboat during his entrance. Doesn't give him a chance to take off his robe or his headband. However, Steamboat, he fights back. Um but you know jake kind of brings it to steamboat early on and then steamboat you know dumps him out to the floor and starts to take advantage of jake by working on his arm um you know this was the big this was the big psychological point of the match here um that steamboat was trying to work on jake's arm because jake needed that arm to deliver that ddt and it was that ddt that put steamboat out of commission so steamboat from a psychological standpoint worked on a body part and tried to pick that apart to avoid that ddt which i thought was a a, a pretty sound strategy um for this match here um 
the the action does spill out to the outside as jake gets the upper hand and uh uses a steel chair on steamboat which gets a pretty big pop from the audience um however steamboat would get back in the ring and regain control and continue to work on the arm working on the arm to avoid jake using it for the ddt um Steamboat would then bring Jake into the corner with several rights and lefts, but Jake would reverse Steamboat into the corner and onto the outside. Um, we would then see a slingshot to the ringside post with a blade job from Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Another obvious camera, ca plain camera view where we would see Steamboat grab something and go for his forehead. Um, then he would continue to work on Steamboat on the outside. Um, then bring him back in the ring, continuing his assault until Steamboat comes back and goes for a sunset flip pinning combination for the win at 10 minutes and 17 seconds. Crowd goes absolutely crazy. Biggest pop for a finish on this card up until this point. Um, and up until this point, this was probably my favorite match because number one, there was a real personal rivalry to it and there was a no disqualification setting that was announced you know prior to the you know the, the match beginning so you knew what you knew the story going in um there was there was established history between the two and you know these two guys are all-time greats hall of famers and I, I i i wasn't disappointed that's for sure so if you if i can give you a a, a a match to go out of your way to watch out of the show so far make sure you watch this one if you're gonna fast forward through the other stuff i get it but make sure you watch this match this match was a lot of fun crowd was super into it um we go to the next match here billy jack haynes taking on hercules um and the match begins with monsoon who's on commentary um this is clearly a post-production edited commentary version of gorilla monsoon as he's by himself he explains that there's an absence of uh ernie ladd and johnny valentine and they're probably going out and getting libations and groceries so this this was a post-production edit for sure you could tell um it's 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 dubbed over you don't hear too much of the crowd or the audience um with their uh you know with the noise so um he randomly which i thought was you know rather interesting monsoon would announce that the doctor of style slick had picked up several of the contracts from classy freddie blassie including nikolai volkoff and the iron chic um it was a very random announcement um and which brought me to think uh is he bringing in hercules as well because i vaguely remember hercules being with uh with um what's his name uh classy freddie blassie so i wasn't 100 percent sure if this was why he mentioned it it was it because he's gonna add hercules to his little entourage here but um yeah i just thought it was very random um anyhow this match here is just basically a battle of two strong men two big men um hercules pretty much getting the upper hand for the majority of the match on billy jack haynes um at times billy jack would attempt to gain control but hercules was very still overpowering of billy jack um billy jack would then make a comeback with some rights and lefts but then deliver a backslide to hercules for the win at six minutes and eight seconds this match here didn't really do it for me wasn't a big billy jack haynes guy um i know that these two would wrestle at wrestlemania 3 um you know several months later so uh you know i think this was the beginning rivalry between these two that would drag on and on and on heading into that wrestlemania um probably the longest match on this card is the fabulous rougeos taking on the dream team which prompts uh luscious johnny valiant back on commentary for this match along with ernie lad um pretty interesting start as both teams brawl to begin the match um the the rougeos have uh you know used their speed and their agility to gain the upper hand on the dream team um However, the, the Dream Team managed to slow things down and work on Jacques for a bit. Classic keel tag team uh, strategy here by just, you know, working on a specific body part on the babyface, Jacques Rougeau. Um, 
Johnny Valiant on commentary was uh, was rather entertaining, uh, talking about how he's not at ringside to offer his team advice or direction. Um, that he's stuck up in the booth doing the, the doing the commentary with Monsoon and Ernie Ladd. Uh, he was probably the bright spot of this match here, in my opinion. No disrespect to the talents that you know took part in the match, but Valiant made it entertaining with his commentary because of his connection to Beefcake and Valentine as a part of the Dream Team. Um, the crowd was into this match. I will say they were very much into this match. There were a lot of chants for the Rougeos, um, both guys being, you know, French Canadian from the country of Canada. They made that connection, uh, with the audience. Um, and so the crowd was really behind them in this match. Anytime that they were down or they were hurt or the dream team was isolating them in the corner, um, you would you, you the crowd would you know chant for them and really get behind them um, there was definitely a big pop for the hot tag to to uh to to raymond rougeau and the crowd was firmly behind him on the comeback um raymond would then you know there, there would be you know the action would get all wild the referee couldn't get control of it at one point i believe raymond tagged back into jacques um and he was the legal guy however the finish came when raymond delivered a sunset flip to greg the hammer valentine at 14 minutes and 51 seconds johnny valiant loses his shit on commentary um monsoon's trying to restore some order in the commentary booth between you know uh, him and uh uh, Johnny V and then uh, Monsoon just out of nowhere indicates that the wrong Rougeau might have delivered the pinfall and Johnny V might have a gripe so uh, which I thought was interesting because Monsoon always played it straight for the baby faces um, and never really called out baby face flaws on his commentary um, he would kind of rationalize and make excuses for their behavior but the heels were the deplorable ones that he just couldn't he couldn't rationalize their actions and he held them accountable for everything they did uh but this was interesting here that he just kind of you know he, he in a way he agreed with johnny valiant um so yeah there was that and uh they kind of ended that segment with basically gorilla saying that you know we may see a rematch between these two teams down the line and uh you know i think we would wrestlemania 3 um beefcake and uh valentine against the rougeos uh which signaled the end of brutus beefcake's uh heel run when he became a baby face and became brutus the barber beefcake um later on in that program uh anyhow let's move on here second to last match on the card as they would like to say they call this the popcorn match where you know you get your merchandise and your popcorn before you go to the main event uh we have handsome harley race taking on pedro morales um and on commentary they referred to race as the king but the graphic on the screen said handsome harley race so i don't know if there was a production mix-up or um this was uh this this was you know they, they hadn't really figured out his king character yet however race wore the purple tights with the yellow crown on the back and had the purple boots that said king on the side of them so i guess he was already established as the king or maybe they hadn't fully established him on wwf programming on the main tv shows like wrestling challenge and superstars and he had debuted this new look at this time i honestly don't know um anyhow uh, monsoon called him the king at one point only to be corrected by johnny valiant um I, like I said, it, maybe it's just a matter of, you know, the, the, the left not telling the right what exactly is going on. So uh, we'll see how that, uh, you know, how that plays out. Anyhow, um, Harley Race pretty much took control early on, bringing Pedro Morales to the floor. And he ran his head into the timekeeper's bell, another sign of shitty officiating. Like, at, at least when I was growing up, if you used any kind of object in or around the ringside area, it would it would be called a disqualification well referee didn't ring the bell um but uh you know that was that now here's another thing i found interesting um and definitely not 2019 friendly was johnny valiant made some disparaging remarks um about pedro morales referring to him as a puerto rican lying lion excuse me and speaking in a very stereotypical spanish accent i was like when i was watching this i, I mean I'm not gonna lie valiant when he's on commentary if you go back and you listen he talks very fast and you kind of gotta like really catch what he's saying so i had to rewind this and go back when he was making the remarks and and speaking in the spanish accent i didn't get i didn't hear the lead up to the 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 
the, the the portion where he's speaking in the Spanish accent. I just heard him start going off. So I started to laugh, but I was like, where'd this come from? So I rewinded it back and he talked about, he goes, you know, Pedro Morales, he's a Puerto Rican lion. And I was like, well, what's a Puerto Rican lion? Um, I was like on I was like on that episode of Marking Out the Days a few months back when Kobe and I uh, were recapping WWF superstars and Vince McMahon had called Kamala a black lion, uh, which there is no such thing as a black lion. So I don't even know what a Puerto Rican lion is, but uh, nonetheless, valent, valiant, uh, you know, really, really, really pushing that envelope with the ethnic. Um, the, the ethnic, not slurs, but the ethnic remarks towards the uh, Puerto Rican uh, Pedro Morales. Um, this was a short match. Both guys were really laying it in with rights and lefts, fists back and forth. Um, the finish comes when Harley Race backs into the corner and sweeps Pedro's legs, going for the cover, but with his feet on the ropes, not in plain sight of the referee, and winning this match at 3 minutes and 23 seconds. Now... I don't know if it was a poor editing job or um, the the audio guy took a day off, but you could clearly hear fans chanting bullshit at the finish. Um, you could clearly hear fans who were sitting either above or underneath the press box where Monsoon and Valiant and Ernie Ladd were doing commentary. They even said, like, you know, he he cheated. That's bullshit. And you go back and you, you, you watch this match here. It's, like I said, the second-to-last match, Harley Race and Pedro Morales um, from the big event. And uh, you, you could clearly hear the audience was not thrilled with this finish. But, um, you know, this was 1986, and that's the kind of reaction you wanted in 1986. And uh, Harley Race being a, a master at his craft, um, an all-time great, uh, knew how to get a rise out of the audience, and he did it with that with that finish here. All right, we have now reached the main event, the WWF title: Hulk Hogan and Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. This match begins with Orndorff entering with Bobby the Brain Heenan to Real American, flanked by or flanked by a ton of security. Holy shit, there was a ton of security there, um, entering. You know, having these guys enter, they were throwing things at them. Orndorff had a lot of heat. Um, the music was still playing as Hogan then made his way with the same uh, security presence. And the place is going crazy, absolutely crazy. Um, at one point, I think you could even see like the hard camera shaking. Like that's how crazy the audience was getting. Um, anyhow, uh, the referee goes to check Hogan's boots during the instructions. And uh, Mr. Wonderful goes on the attack. The crowd surprisingly popped for that. Um, which I thought was rather interesting. I know Hogan's had a history in Canada um, that hasn't been a good one. It's been love-hate um, over the years. Um, so, uh, you know, maybe this was the early signs of that. Who knows? However, um, or Orndorff continued to lay it in on Hogan, um, and we saw some brawling between both guys back and forth early on. Uh, like I said, this is a personal rivalry. This rivalry stems from when Mr. Wonderful turned on Hulk Hogan after a tag match with King Kong Bundy and Big John Studd. Um, on WWF programming a few months prior. Orndorff had befriended Hogan a few months after the very first WrestleMania when Orndorff had his issues with Roddy Piper and Bob Orton Jr., Cowboy Bob Orton Jr., and Hogan and Orndorff would end up becoming a team, and they would fight off the, the, the Heenan family, and they had a match, and post-match comes, and Hogan and Orndorff are, you know, kind of shaking off the cobwebs, and Orndorff lifts Hogan up to help him up, and then he delivers a clothesline and a, and a pile driver, and, you know, we were off to the races, man. I remember as a kid, like, I, I, I it was my first conscious memory of Hogan and Orndorff was not this match, but um, the cage match they had in 87, but I do remember going back and watching some of the, the events that led up to it, and that pile driver, man, um, I wanted to see Hulk Hogan kill Mr. Wonderful. I was just, you know, jumping out of my jumping out of my onesie, <laughs> trying to trying to get to see that match, and um, so this was the big blow. This was one of the major matches in this rivalry, not the blow off, because the blow off would come in that cage match at Saturday night's main event, which. I'm sure we'll cover at a later date. Um, anyhow, um, you know, Bobby Heenan had a presence in this match. He baited Hogan at one point to chase him around the ring, only to roll back in and meet uh, an assault from Mr. Wonderful. And that's where the tide really turned, where Orndorff kind of had the advantage for, you know, the majority of the match. Um, 
like most you know heels do uh he was there was one point he had hogan on the ring apron and he was on the outside and he was fucking killing hogan's throat with elbows these solid elbows right to the center of the throat i you know in order of Either he's really good at what he does, and I'm not saying that he's not, but he, re- you know, either he's really good at what he does, or he was laying it in pretty thick. Uh, but he was, yeah, I was feeling it watching it for sure. Um, 33 years later, uh, so I was, I, you know, and I've also, I've also heard stories, especially in Hogan's book. Where Hogan and Orndorff, they grew up in the Tampa area. They had a personal rivalry with one another, and. Um, you know, they went to the same high school, and then eventually they, they met in the wrestling business. And Orndorff had some issues with Hogan, um, trusting Hogan, and not feeling like he got, you know, the credit that he deserved for their matches. And I, I, I mean, me personally, it takes two to tango. I think both guys brought it in their rivalry, and especially in this match. Um, but, you know, Hogan used to say that Orndorff used to be real rough with him, and he attributes his neck and back issues from some of his matches with Paul Orndorff and how stiff he was. Um, but the referee in this match, he was really giving both guys a lot of leeway when it came to, uh, you know, disqualifications and, and whatnot. Um, Orndorff uh, had uh, delivered a choke in the ring to Hogan, and the referee gave Wonderful the five count. Usually after the five count, you disqualify. Um, but Orn, you know, if, if, if the guy doesn't break the hold, well, Orndorff didn't break the hold, and the referee didn't disqualify him. So um, just another case of, uh, you know, I wouldn't – yeah, yeah, another case of shoddy officiating. But on the other side of it, you could also say that, you know, because this rivalry was so personal, the referee was just giving them leeway. But the referees were giving guys leeway all fucking night long, in my opinion. Um Hogan would counter um, after, you know, getting out of, you know, the uh, the choke. Hogan would uh, counter a pile driver with a back body drop. We thought we were going to see the end of the match here. Um, and then he would come back and give Wonderful a knee to the back, which would then catapult Wonderful into the referee, causing a ref bump. And the referee's down and out. Hogan would then go for a pile driver of his own, but Bobby Heenan nailing him with some kind of bar stool while the referee's still down. Orndorff would go for the cover, but the referee finally wakes up and he taps Wonderful on the shoulders three times, and then Orndorff thinks that he won the match. Bobby the Brain Heenan brings the title into the ring to celebrate. He puts it around Wonderful's waist, and then the referee informs Howard Finkel that Hulk Hogan won by disqualification at 11 minutes and five seconds and that was the finish of that match for that main event post match we'd see hogan and Orndorff kind of get into it a little bit hogan would try to go after heenan he, he swung the championship belt at him and that would be the end of that we would roll credits and we would sh- they would show little clips as the credits would roll of what took place um on this event mainly the main event with hogan and Orndorff, and that was the end of the big event now let me give you my final analysis of this show me personally i thought the show was okay um if there is if there's anything if there's any bright spots it was probably it was probably the um the the snake pit match with jake the snake and ricky steamboat and and this main event excuse me with hogan and mr wonderful paul orndorff um yeah if if i'm gonna give this a blind date um this blind date, uh, is it thumbs up? No. Is it thumbs down? <sighs> Overall, the show, yeah, I'd give it a thumbs down. I don't think this was a great show. Um, I mean, the crowd was the crowd was into most of it, but um, I thought some of the finishes were weird and strange. And like I said, the referee officiating the consistency with keeping up with the rules, and you know that to me just I, I I think like there needs to be that kind of stuff established in order for people to get into it and be invested into the story. And some of that stuff wasn't established. Um, but if you do want to go out of your way to check out this event, it's on WWE Network. You can find it in the retired pay per view section of the wwe pay-per-view portion of the network um or you could just search the big event from august 28th 1986 um so yeah this blind date was not a very good one i i don't think i'll go back and watch this entire show from beginning to end so i'm, I'm gonna give this one a thumbs down if anything 
the meal was good on the date. And then when I refer to the meal being good, that is the Snake Pit match and the Hogan-Orndorff match. And that about does it for this blind date diary covering the big event from August the 28th, 1986. The next blind date diary we're going to bring to you at the end of September, we're going to cover WWF One Night only from the UK in September 20th of 1997. This show was headlined by Shawn Michaels challenging the British Bulldog, the home countryman, mind you, uh, Davy Boy Smith for the WWF European Championship. We would see a WWF Championship match or a rematch, I should say. From SummerSlam 1997, new champion Bret the Hitman Hart facing off against The Undertaker. We would see Vader taking on Owen Hart, Hunter Hearst Helmsley against Dude Love. We would see DOA, The Nation, Los Bariquas, so many of the, 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 the big names from 1997 in the World Wrestling Federation. I've never watched that show before ever from beginning to end. The only match I've ever watched from that show was Sean and Davey Boy um, as the main event because... That was the first time that WWF at that time would have a storyline that transpired on a, uh, an overseas show, and they would kind of incorporate it into their their television programming in the United States here. So uh, I'm going to watch that show from beginning to end and give you guys my blind date diary and whether it was a, a blind date with a thumbs up or a blind date gone wrong who knows but be on the lookout for that next month but next week here on kicking out of two we kick off the month of september with a clash of champions watch party wcw clash of champions watch party that's right we're gonna watch clash of champions 20 from september the 2nd 1992 it was one of my favorite clash of champions it was headlined by sting nikita koloff and the steiner brothers to take on rick rude Big Van Vader, the Super Invader, and Jake the Snake Roberts in an eight-man tag team match. That Clash of Champions was a 20-year celebration of WCW and pro wrestling on TBS. So it was a big, big event that took place from center stage in Atlanta, Georgia. We're going to watch that show from beginning to end on the WWE Network. It kind of goes along with our timeline of uh, you know what Kobe and I do on Marking Out the Day's Weekend Warriors covering WCW Saturday night from 1992. We're going to watch this show together. Kobe's hopefully going to be joining me. If not, I'll find someone else if Kobe can't make it, but um, we're going to watch that show from beginning to end on WWE Network right here next week. And be on the lookout for Marking Out the Day's Weekend Warriors. Each and every Saturday, that show drops as we cover WWF Superstars and WCW Saturday Night. You can find that on the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network over on Podbean. Like, rate, and review all the shows on Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network over on Podbean. And that about does it this week for another edition of Kicking Out of Two. I think it's time that we put this show down for the three count and end this horrible blind date that I had to endure with the big event from 1986. And we will see you all next week.